Welcome back to RUF. If it's your first time, I want to give you a particular welcome and let you know we're really glad you're here. Uh, you are catching us actually on the end of a study through the book of Revelation. And if you have uh, been coming, you know that uh, we've been through some really hard sections of the book of Revelation in the previous week. Uh, but last week, and actually this week, and then next week, um, we're, gonna, we're wrapping up Revelation, and it's a really glorious picture that John gives us. We're actually spending the last two weeks in Revelation 21 and 22. So tonight and next Wednesday, uh, we will be in the final chapters of the book of Revelation. And one of the things that we've learned this semester is that the goal of Revelation is not to amuse us. But it's actually given to us to move us and change us through the images that God has given the Apostle John. Revelation, as we've learned this semester, doesn't come to us in the middle of our confusion, in the middle of our doubts and struggling and suffering and bop us on the head and say, get your act together, it'll be okay, you shouldn't be struggling in this way. It doesn't do that, but instead, you know, John comes week after week and he says, come, let me show you something. Things are not as they seem. And John pulls back the curtain on the spiritual world, a world that is just as real that we've learned this semester as this world that we can see and smell and hear and touch. And he pulls back the curtain and he shows us these images. For example... Revelation chapter 4, he comes and he says, look, a throne. And the throne is not empty. But there's one seated on the throne who is ruling and reigning over this world. And then he shows us images like Jesus riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he gives us these images in the midst of our confusion and pain and suffering, and it doesn't magically clear it up. But what he does is he gives us these images so that it might reframe what it is that we're going through and change our lives at the present moment and cause us to look at our life and the world differently. That's what we've been seeing week after week. And once again... We see John do that in Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation 21, John gives us this incredible, powerful picture of what the future holds for Christians, the new heaven and the new earth. And he gives it to us in order to bring clarity to our life and reframe our present circumstances. It really is pretty amazing. I think you'll agree with me as I read our passage tonight. Revelation 21... Verses 1 through 6. If you have uh, a handout, you'll see it printed for you, or you can look on in your Bible or look on with a friend. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. This is God's holy and inspired word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Remember, we learned earlier in Revelation that the sea represented chaos. 
And so in the new heaven and new earth, no chaos, no sea. It's a pretty amazing picture. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give them the spring of the water of life without payment. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Father... In heaven, we come and ask you to help us again uh, as we look at uh, this incredible passage that words cannot possibly capture the beauty of. Father, in some small way, through your spirit, would you help us to capture the incredible picture that we're given in Revelation 21. Lord, there's lots of different stories in this room. We're in lots of different places. Some of us are doing great. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are full of shame. Uh, Some of us are ready to give up. We need a word from you. And I pray that you would encourage us through this passage in such a way that as we consider our future hope, that we would be changed today as we live in this present world. Show us Jesus. Show us the good news that awaits those who believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin tonight by asking you a question. What is your future hope as you sit here tonight? What is your future hope? Think about that question. And at first glance, that sounds like a really simple question. But I really believe that it's one of the most important questions that you can ask. Because the way you live now is controlled by what you think about the future. The way you live now is shaped by what you believe that's going to happen in the future. Think about it this way. Tim Keller, I've heard him use this several times and it's a great illustration, Uh, but there are two guys and they're in the same room and they're sitting at the same table, and they are given a menial task to do. Let's think of a menial task. For me, that would be licking envelopes. I hate to do that. So let's say the menial task is licking envelopes. And they are to do that task for 10 hours a day. You look at the first guy and you say, do this for a year, 10 hours a day, and I will pay you $20,000. You look at the other guy and you say, after a year of licking envelopes 10 hours a day, I will pay you $20 million. Well, you know what will happen, right? The first guy, 
after a month or so, will look and say, I quit. I hate this. This is so tedious. And I've got better things to do. It's not worth it. But what about the other guy? He's whistling why he works. He doesn't find it tedious at all because he knows what awaits him. You see it? Two, two of the same experiences, the same circumstances, but the response is very different. They both respond very differently based on what they believe about the future. Their future hope actually made all the difference. And the future hope of the people that John is writing the book of Revelation to, it made all the difference in their lives as well. Remember, you've heard me say this week after week as we've come to this book because I think it's really that important because the context is part of the passage. And when we realize the context, it actually helps us to interpret the passage correctly. Remember the context. Who's John writing to? He's writing to people who are suffering that will experience way more pain, way more heartache, way more sorrow, way more death than you and I will ever experience. He's writing to people who are under the reign of the emperor Domitian in the first century. And under his rule, that was really the first time there were widespread uh, persecution of Christians. Their homes were taken away. They were actually impaled on stakes and lit on fire. They were actually crucified along the highways on the ways in and out of Rome. They were actually thrown to the arenas and wild beasts tore them apart. That's not fiction. That is fact. That is recorded in church history. But what's interesting is church history also records that as they were suffering those things, they suffered with poise and grace and composure. So much so that it is written that as they were being torn apart by wild beasts, they were known to sing hymns as they were dying. So much so that when people were killing them, they looked at them and said, I forgive you and I love you. You see, back in those early years, the more Christians were killed, the more Christianity grew. Why? Because the watching world looked at them and they said, they've got something. They have got something. What did they have? They had this. They had Revelation chapter 21. They had the picture that John gives them of the new heaven and the new earth. And it gave them poise in the midst of suffering. And it allowed them to look death in the eye and say, Bring it! What are you going to do to me? Because that is where I'm headed. To a new heaven and new earth that God has prepared for me. You see it? They had a living hope. And that hope in the future actually shaped the way they lived in the present. And here's my question. Do you have that kind of hope? Do you have that kind of hope? Well, if we're honest, 
I find this deeply challenging. Because oftentimes, if we're honest, we wouldn't say this out loud, but inwardly we would say that we're not really that excited about heaven, are we? Sure, we might say, Jason, yes, I want Jesus to come back and I want to be with Jesus, but first let me get married. First let me have a family of my own. Or, yeah, sure, that sounds great, but first let me get a really good job where I can make lots of money and when I, where I can have all the possessions that I've always longed to have. That's the way we think. Why do we think that way? Because our view of the future of what Jesus came to do and our view of heaven is small. It's so tiny. And John tonight comes to us and says, let me give you a picture of something that is so beautiful, that is so wonderful and so glorious and so big that when you grasp it, you'll actually long for it. That when you grasp it, it will actually give you a living hope. And a hope that will actually enable you to face things that you otherwise would not be able to face. See, tonight, John wants us to be captivated with two things. You can see on your outline printed before you. He wants us to be captivated with a new creation and a new body. Let's look at number one, a new creation. So John's getting this vision of the end of history, and what does he see? Two things I want, us to, I want to emphasize here in this passage. And the first is look at verse 2. Heaven is not a place up there. Did you catch that? Heaven is not a place up in the sky. If you look at verse 2, heaven is actually coming down to earth. Scotty Smith, who has written a book on the book of Revelation, says it this way. It's more accurate to say that heaven is coming down to us rather than we are going to heaven. Friends, when I learned about this for the first time when I was in seminary, and it totally changed my life. For the first time, I actually had something that I felt like was worth dying for. Because if you look at the Bible, listen to this, all throughout the Scriptures, remember the celebration that we talked about in Revelation 19 last week about the Feast of the Lamb? That's not going to be happening in the clouds. It's going to be happening here. In this world, on this earth. But it's going to be happening, happening on a new earth. And a new world. You see, this passage suggests for us a renewed earth. A real, solid earth. And there's nothing in the Bible that suggests, and listen to this, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that our experience there will not be continuous with everything that we love and have experienced and known here. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Secondly, look at verse 5. Notice all things are there, but they're made new. 
I'm definitely not the first person to say this, but notice what it does not say. God does not say, Behold, I am making all new things. Did you catch that? In other words, He's not making a completely different world. He says, I am making all things new. And God is saying, the earth that many... I love, I love earth. I love this world. And many of you love it too. And He says, think about how good it is. And it's broken. And so I am going to take it and make it new and transform it and make it whole. And we don't know everything about what it's going to be like, but here's what I do think we can say, is that when the new heaven and new earth is ushered in, I think that you're going to be able to look and say, that's earth. And all the things that you love about it will be there, except they will be better because they will be made new. And so if you like coffee, if you like sports, if you love friendships and art and music and cities, you won't stop loving those things in heaven. You see, it will be the place and the reality that you've always longed for and that you've always dreamed of. Look at what else it says about the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more crying and no more mourning and no more pain. Friends, heaven will be a place where you won't be betrayed anymore by your friends. It will be a place where boys won't break your heart and where girls won't ignore you. And where people that you love dearly, they will never die, but they will always be there. It'll be a place, as we sang in the hymn right before this, where friendships that have been severed are actually knitted up and reconciled. Every one of us in this room has experienced in some way incredible sadness in our lives. But some of you have been traumatized. Some of you have been violated. Some of you at a very young age have lost someone very close to you and it's changed the whole course of your life. Some of you when you were maybe in middle school, when you needed your family to be together, it actually broke apart through divorce and your family has actually never been the same since. Some of you deeply regret some of the decisions that you've made in your life. Maybe even since you've been at Ole Miss. And you live with tons of shame and you can't shake it. It seems like it's always there with you. Friends, the things that you can't undo and the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you, listen to this, in the new heaven and the new earth, they'll be gone. They'll be wiped away. You won't ever give those things another thought and you will be safe and you will be secure and no one will ever hurt you again. And you will be completely healed. 
That's amazing. Isn't that what we all long for? Isn't that what we're really after? Joni Erickson Tata. She's the founder of an international disability center called Joni and Friends. And she was actually in an accident when she was 17 years old that left her paralyzed from the neck down. And there was a reporter doing a story on her one time and was going to write a piece about her life. And so he decided to come and kind of hang out and follow her around for a couple of days and interview her throughout the day. And so this reporter came, and so she went through her normal routine. And part of her normal routine is to go to a horse farm and watch people ride horses. Because before she was paralyzed, she loved to ride horses. And so she goes once a week and watches people ride horses. And this reporter is with her. And at one point, he looks at her very strangely and says, why do you do this? Isn't this torture for you? Because as you look at them, you know you'll never ride again. Listen to her response. She said, I don't want to forget how. That might sound crazy to you. And that might sound crazy to that reporter. And that might sound like that's coming from a person that's out of touch with reality. But no, remember, things are not as they seem. It's actually coming from someone who's really in touch with reality. Someone who knows that this Revelation 21 is the reality that is coming. You see, it's coming from someone... who doesn't believe that we're going to float and sit on clouds and play harps in heaven, but someone who actually believes Revelation 21 and that hope in the future is actually shaping her present reality. It's coming from someone who believes that Jesus is going to come and make all things new and is going to give her a new body one day and that she will actually one day again do the things that she loves and that is ride horses. I don't know about you, but that's big enough to captivate me. That's big enough to draw me in and actually get me excited about something beyond this world. Do you have that kind of living hope? If so, you will be able to face anything that life throws your way. So captivated first with a new creation and secondly with a new body. Look at verses 2 through 4, and I'm also drawing here from Revelation chapter 20 at the end when it starts talking about our resurrection of our bodies. And I'm also I'm indebted to my friend Brian Sorgenfry from Mississippi State for his help with this uh, section. But basically, what I want us to get here is not only do we look forward to a new creation, we also look forward to a new body. And I think this is really important because oftentimes when we think about heaven, we think about our bodies being renewed, our new souls and new spirits. And that's true. But I think it's way more exciting than that. 
Because just as we just saw there will be a real new physical material earth, you'll also have a new real physical material body. In other words, in heaven you won't be hovering above the street. <laughs> you'll be walking. You'll be running. You'll be hugging people. And you'll be eating. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I encourage you, write that down. 1 Corinthians 15, read it tonight. The Apostle Paul is asked this question. What kind of body will we have in heaven? And Paul basically, to summarize, says, he says that we'll have, it'll be, we'll have continuity. So there'll be continuity with this present body, but there'll also be incontinuity. And he says that what is perishable will now be imperishable. What is weak will now in heaven be strong and powerful. What does he mean? Well, we don't know completely all that Paul means, but we do know enough. And here's what we know. In chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection. Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Paul says, you want to know what your body's going to be like in heaven? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' glorified body and what that's like. Think about it. When Jesus was raised from the dead, He was given a glorified body. Now let's work this out. Could you touch Jesus' body? If you read the Gospels, was Jesus' body, resurrected body, physical and material? Yes! His disciples touched Him. John chapter 21, they ate breakfast together. Jesus ate fish. Have you ever had one of those freak out moments when you're thinking about heaven and you're thinking, am I going to know people? I love my friends. Will I be able to recognize and know my friends? Well, think about it. Were people able to recognize Jesus? The Gospels clearly say yes. In heaven, I will look at my wife, Susie, and I will know that she was my wife. You will look at your friends and recognize them, and recognize them in your best moment of friendship here will be nothing compared to what it will be like when we are in the new heaven and the new earth. And what's interesting is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if you read it, the only way he can describe what our bodies are going to be like is basically in the negative. And so he says things like, it won't perish. And to me, that is glorious because here's what that means. Your body will not grow weary anymore. You will not get sick and get strep throat, which everybody in campus seems to have strep throat. Uh, or you will not get the flu. You will not experience pain. Emotionally, no nervous breakdown. No sinking into depression. No bones breaking. No aches. Your mind won't forget things. No medication. In heaven, 
And some of you, this is really good news because I know you deal with chronic illnesses. But in heaven, your body will work exactly the way it's supposed to work. But here's perhaps the best news of all. When you get your glorified body, there will be no sin. Think about that. Think about the addictions that seem to have you in prison. You will be free from them. They will no longer have a hold on you. Because sin will be completely wiped away. In the new heavens and new earth, it will be a place of giving and communion and selflessness and enjoyment. And so instead of seeing people as competition, we will enjoy people and we will admire people. Think about how great that is. Because every single person in this room can think of someone around them in their life that they look at and they're better than them in some area. They have a better body than you. They're better looking than you. They're more athletic than you. They're more social than you. They have a better personality than you. They can uh, work any room in any party. And we could go on and on and on. They're smarter than you. And what happens when you get those people in your life? Well, we start competing with them. And when we start competing with them, we start resenting them and hating them and getting bitter towards them. Why? Because we've got to beat them. Not in heaven. In heaven, you'll look at that person and you'll love them and you'll appreciate them for the gifts that God has given them and you'll enjoy and admire them. Why? Because there won't be a hint of jealousy in the new heaven and the new earth. So what are the implications? If this is what's coming and this is what's guaranteed for those who trust in Jesus, the implication is that it should change the way you see your body right now, tonight. Think about it this way. Lots of you hate your body. For lots of you, your body feels like a prison. It feels like a burden to you. It feels like it's something that you're enslaved to. And so when you think about true salvation and true freedom, you think that that would be away from the body. Some of you need to hear me say this. Jesus loves your body. He made it. He created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb and He's going to remake you one day and glorify you. Yes, your body is fallen and broken and doesn't work right. But it's still a good thing. Because you're a human being created in the image of God. Some of you are on the opposite end. You don't love, you don't hate your body, you actually love it too much. You actually are so into your body and your appearance that it actually means everything to you. And your body was never meant to bear the weight of all your happiness and significance. Because when you look at all the things that we've looked at tonight, you realize that this body here is wasting away and you will be given a new one 
that's way better than the one you have. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that glory and in heaven will all look the same and all have the same shape and body size. Why? Because that's not true beauty. Remember, true beauty isn't body shape. True beauty is actually self-forgetfulness. Ricky Jones, again, I mentioned him last week. He's a former campus minister, but he talks about true beauty and how true beauty is actually different from the person who's actually trying to be attractive and trying to be beautiful. Why does he say that? Well, think about it. The person who's trying to be beautiful and trying to be attractive and pretty, that's all they think about. And it actually consumes them all the time. And they always go out and they always assume that everyone is looking at them and noticing what they're wearing and how they look. And so they've got to look perfect and look just right. But the person who's truly beautiful is so secure because they realize that it's not at all about them. Here's what I want you to hear. In the new heavens and the new earth, you will be so beautiful. And Jesus' love for you will be so real that you will become self-forgetful about your body. Did you hear that? You won't even think about your appearance at all. Nor will you be envious about another's looks or about another person's body. Why? Because standing before your Maker, your groom, Jesus, He will be captivated with you. And He will be looking at you as if you're the most beautiful thing in the world. I don't know about you, but that's something to get excited about. James Henley Thornwell was, lived during the 1800s. And in the 1800s, you know, if, if you got the flu or got some sort of fever, it could be deadly. Lots of parents saw their children die during that time period. He had a daughter, and his daughter was set to be married and the invitations were sent out for her wedding and the week before her wedding people are already on their way and a week before their, her wedding she comes down with a fever what essentially was the flu and a few days before the wedding the doctor walks in and says you're not going to make it you're going to die and so she actually died on her wedding day and the people that were coming were coming expecting a wedding, but instead came to a funeral. And her father, during the wedding or during the, the, the funeral, stands up and all he could talk about was his last moments with his daughter and how excited she was to see Jesus. He talked about how she was so excited because she got to be the first one in the family to see Jesus. And he said her last words to him were, I will be waiting. I will be waiting. 
They actually buried her in her wedding dress. And in, on her tombstone in Columbia, South Carolina, her tombstone reads like this. Here lies a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. How in the world does someone on arguably the best day of her life on earth, her wedding day, how instead of being angry and frustrated and just so down on life, how is she able instead to be excited about seeing Jesus so much so that she would, be wear, she would be buried in her wedding dress. How? She had something. She had this. She had Revelation chapter 21. She knew that she was getting a new body and she knew that she was headed for a new creation and it reframed her present circumstances and enabled her to die and suffer well. So I ask you again, do you have hope like that? Hope that will allow you to take whatever life throws at you I hope you do. Let's pray.